Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that as we come to your word this evening, that you would humble our hearts to receive its truth, that you would Uh, Open our minds to contemplate and to focus and to give attention to the truth that is your word. God, we live in a world that really drives at us and pushes us towards fear and anxiety. And uh, Lord, it is a battle. Uh, We we sense and we desire to be in control of our lives. And yet you time and time again remind us that we are not in control. And so this evening, would we find peace and would we find purpose in seeking after you and resting in your sovereign control over our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, 5683. uh, This is a piece of paper that says phone code for the live stream. It wasn't a secret note about any of you, so don't worry. (laughs) So now everybody knows my phone code. Uh, 5683, if you want to hack into uh, my phone, there's nothing there for you, but now you can. (laughs) That was awesome. That was so sly. That was good. Um, Speaking of phones, um, pull out your phones and text hi to our text in number 305-930-7006. I want to encourage you to do this. This We're going to be doing this every single week until we see the numbers skyrocket to 100% because we're fluctuating around 50, and that makes me sad. I want you to to text in hi to our text number. You can find it in our worship program if you didn't catch when I was saying it. Because not only do we want you to engage with the announcements and all the opportunities for you to connect, um, but, you know, everything that we do in a a corporate worship setting is about participating together, right? We sing songs together. We come to the Lord's table after the sermon together. We pray together together. We contemplate the announcements and the ways that we can engage in the life of the church together. And sometimes you can fall captive to believing that the sermon is me just talking to you and you listening and questioning and asking questions of yourself, but it's kind of passive. And that's not what this is meant to be, right? We're meant to engage together. And so this is our tool to help you do that. So you can take notes. There's a bunch of slides in there. And tonight there's a little surprise. There's a little gift for you that I'll reference later. So you're definitely going to want to check out uh, what's in the app. That's our, our way to get you in. It's like a little prize. Like you, tell, you know, you tell kids like, hey, if you do this, I'm going to give you a prize. They always do it. So we gave you a prize in the app. Text hi to our text number. So this evening, as you are aware, as you're listening to Toki's story, can we just give Toki a round of applause again for sharing her story? <laughs> Amazing. 
This series has been so awesome to see the vulnerability and the courage. So many of you all to share your story about what God is doing and what he's taught you. And this series has been built by you, and so we wanted to feature you. And tonight we're looking at God is in control. Last week we looked at God is present, and this is really the other side of the anxiety coin. We looked at anxiety and fear last week, and it's a reminder that God is present, but we also need the other side of the coin, which is that God is in control when you're struggling with anxiety and and worry and fear uh, in life. How many of you, and I want you to raise your hand, don't be shy, how many of you are afraid of flying? Like you get nervous. Like you may not like, you take a plane, but you're nervous when you get on a plane. Raise your hand. A lot of you are lying. A lot of you are like, I'm not afraid of flying. Studies say 25% of Americans are anxious to fly. And I, I would venture to say a lot of you that were like trying to be all tough, you know, by not raising your hand, you're a little nervous too. Some of you fly all the time and you got the noise canceling headphones and it's like everyday routine. But for a lot of us, flying causes fear. And it, it's very common to be nervous to fly. And the reason that we're nervous when we fly is because we're not in control, right? You're not flying the plane. You don't know what's in front of the plane and you have to kind of relinquish control to the pilot. Which is kind of ridiculous that we're afraid of flying because driving is so much more dangerous than flying. I mean, we're driving around vehicles that are going 60, 80, 100, if you live in Miami, miles an hour all around each other. And yet planes are are carefully, you know, taken from point A to point B and they're spaced out and they're made to deal with all different types of weather. And yet we're nervous to fly, but we're not nervous to drive. Think about when you analyze it. Okay, I know all of us in here think we're the greatest drivers ever, especially when you compare yourself to Miami drivers. You're like, yes, it's confirmed. I'm a great driver. We all think that we know how to operate a vehicle very well. But unless there's a couple secret race car drivers in the room, no one in this room is better at driving a car than a pilot is at flying an airplane. No one, not one of you. When you get in an airplane with a commercial pilot, on average, they spend 10 to 15 years training before they can take a commercial flight. 10 to 15 years of flying planes and studying and learning everything and logging thousands upon thousands upon thousands of flights until they can actually take control of that plane that you're sitting in going from point A to point B. And yet, we think that we're more safe and more in control when we're driving than when the pilot who has spent 15 years of his or her life training to fly a plane. I mean, it's ridiculous. But the reason we feel like that is because we're not in control of the plane and we're in control of the car. And in life, when things happen and things start to kind of spin out of control and we lose our sense of control, that's exactly when anxiety comes in. When you get on the plane, you're not in control and so you're a little bit anxious. And some of you that are like, I'm not nervous to fly. When there's a little turbulence, what happens? All of a sudden, you get a little anxious. You're like, is the plane made for this? And you're watching the flight attendants. Like, are they nervous? Because if they're nervous, like they sit down, they put their seatbelt on. You're like, oh, no. Now they have the seatbelt on. This is a problem. The cart's going up. This is an issue, right? You're starting to get nervous as there's a little bump. You weren't initially anxious, but now there's a bump and there's some turbulence and you are. And this is how we live our lives, right? Every single one of us in this room struggles with anxiety and worry and fear to varying degrees. Some of us are really, really struggling with it. It feels as if anxiety guides much of our thoughts and our actions, and it's 
really difficult to counter and to battle against. It's a, a pressing struggle. And then some of us struggle with anxiety, but it's more situational. It's when there's a bump and there's some turbulence in life. And we weren't initially anxious. We weren't initially full of fear. But something happened and a relationship changed. And something took place at work that now we're starting to be anxious. Because we feel like we're not in control. And Jesus tonight wants to speak on this issue of anxiety and control. But before he does, as he gets to the end, he's speaking about anxiety. He wants to kind of bring forth two idols that you have to smash and you have to destroy if you're going to be able to cling in your heart to the reality that God is in control and he's safe. Even when the bumps and the turbulence come, God is safe because he's in control of your life. You have to, go to, you have to destroy two idols first. And look what Jesus says in our passage tonight in verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Bold statement. <laughs> Some of you are like, wow, okay, do not be anxious about my life. Do you know my life? There's a lot of things to be anxious about in my life. Jesus, you're going to come out and you're just going to say that. And it kind of feels, one, a little bit unrealistic. Two, it feels a little insensitive. Don't be anxious about my life. What do you mean by that? Jesus qualifies it, and he is going to give two examples of things that really feed anxiety in us and produce much of the anxiety that we deal with. He says this, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He's bringing out two things. Don't be anxious about what you consume, what brings satisfaction to your soul and what fulfills you and makes you comfortable through what you eat and drink. And also do not be anxious about what you put on, how you present yourself, your clothing. He's, he's really speaking about two idols. One is the idol of comfort, and the other is the idol of image. First, he looks at the idol of comfort, and he says this, verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So first, he's going to look at the idol of comfort, and he says, listen, don't be anxious about your life, and we're going to, we need to talk about comfort here. Look at the birds. The birds are fed. They live a comfortable life. They have opportunity to live a fulfilling and satisfying life, but they're not actually in control because they don't sow, and they don't reap, and they don't harvest anything. They don't store it in barns. They are completely dependent upon God for a comfortable, satisfying life. All week long, I was laughing, and I think a lot of people that are probably walking by the office thought I was a crazy person, because as I'm preparing for the sermon, I'm thinking about birds farming, like wearing overalls, farming with like a rake, and I don't know why, but I'm just like hysterically laughing, because I'm thinking they don't, they don't harvest, they don't sow or reap, and for some reason, I'm thinking about a bird wearing overalls, and it made me laugh. But see, the, the picture is that they're dependent upon God's control and ordering of nature. 
They go to look for food, and they go to look for things that make them feel comfortable and satisfied, but they rely on God's control and order of nature. They rely on the rains coming down that bring the insects out of the earth up to the soil so that they can go eat them. They rely on the rivers and the lakes and the oceans to be teeming with fish that will come up to the surface so they can snatch them. They rely on the flowers in season to blossom so the nectar is available so they can come eat and drink from the nectar They seek out all of these different ways to live a satisfying and comfortable and fulfilling life. And yet, who's really in control is God and his grace and the way that he's ordered nature to care for the birds. They may believe that they're in control, but they're not actually in control. They they seek to find different options for comfort, but God is overseeing all of it. And they are active in this, right? It's not as if birds wake up in the morning and they just open their mouth and look up to the sky and insects fall down, right? They're involved. They're seeking out food. They're seeking out things that will bring comfort to their life. And yet they are completely dependent upon God to feed them. And Jesus is making this comparison because he wants to see how our life should be viewed We may live our life seeking out different things that bring comfort and feel like they're going to provide satisfaction and fulfillment, but really we're not in control. We like to think that we're in control. We like to think that we're in control of our own comfort and our own satisfaction and our own fulfillment and our own happiness. We like to think this. If I just sow and work really hard, then I'm going to reap happiness. And when I reap happiness through all of my hard work and all of my attention and all of my focus and all of my drive, once I begin to enjoy that, I'm going to store it. I'm going to hide it away in a barn and protect it because life is about pursuing my happiness. You hear that all the time, right? Life is about chasing after your happiness. It doesn't matter who's in your way. Get your happiness. Run after it as if we are in control. But this is an illusion. It's an illusion to believe like this. In fact, to believe this is is the very thing that produces so much anxiety, is to believe that you're actually fully in control of providing a comfortable, satisfying, fulfilling, happy life. It's up to you to work hard, to focus, to engage in the right areas, to not waste time in certain relationships, to make sure you have the right career, you're living in the right city, that everything is working perfectly, that your life is in order. As long as you control it well, you're going to live a great life. You're going to live your best life. And then when your life falls apart, what happens? You get anxious. (laughs) Because you believe the illusion that you're actually in control. How many of you are thinking to yourself, you know what? I just need to find a new city. Some of you have come here for that. You, like, lived in the cold. You're like, I just got to go to Miami. I just got to be at the beach. And now you're here, and it's, like, not everything you imagine. Some of you are here, and you're like, I have to leave Miami. And once I leave Miami, I will be able to sow and work hard, and I'll harvest the happiness that I will be able to enjoy, and I'll store it. Just got to go to a new city. Some of you are thinking, I just got to have new friends i got to have new friends with deeper relationships that are more fulfilling, that engage with me as much as I engage with them. That will then produce happiness. I'm going to control and work towards that. Some of you are thinking, I need a new career. 
So much of my life is my career, and I don't like my career, and it's never going to produce happiness. So I'm in control, so I need to find a new career. Millennials, on average, I've told you this before, change jobs every three years. You're not happy, you're not satisfied, just change your job. Some of you are thinking, I need a new church. Right? How many times have you maybe felt that? I'm not feeling connected to God. I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm not feeling satisfied. My relationship with God is not comfortable. It's probably something with the church. So I need to take hold of my faith. I need to find a new church. I need to take whatever they can give me and consume that. And then I'll probably in a vi- some short time later find another church because that church won't be able to do it as well. We're constantly seeking to find greener grass, right? The grass is greener on the other side. Here's the reality. The grass really is greener on the other side. It really is. And that's why we continue to try all this different stuff. We try a new job, new friends, new city, new church, whatever. We try all this new stuff to try to find some sense of happiness and fulfillment in life because we believe we're in control. And when we jump to new stuff, the grass is green. But guess what? The grass turns brown. It's green for a little bit. But then it turns brown. And when it turns brown... And we begin to feel anxious again and worried and fearful that we're wasting our life and that our life isn't what we thought it would be. We just jump to a new patch of green grass. And Jesus says, look at the birds. Yet they're living their life. They're, they're flying around. They're looking for food. They're engaging in the, the opportunities available to them. But they're not really in control. God's in control. It's his grace and his ordering of nature that provides for them. And then he looks at the disciples and those that are listening as well as he looks at us. And he says, as you look at the birds, do you not think that you're more valuable to God than they are? If God in his grace is going to order nature to provide everything necessary for birds to live a comfortable and satisfying life, does he not also provide that to you on a much grander scale? Are you not more valuable to God than the birds? I mean, you're made in his image. You certainly are more valuable. And then he says, and which of you, in verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? You feel that? What do you add by being anxious? What does it contribute to your comfort or to your satisfaction? What, does it add to your life or does it take away? You see, the reality is this. Anxiety unchecked by faith in a God who is in control just breeds more anxiety. Anxiety breeds anxiety unless you check it by saying, no, God, you are actually in control and I'm going to believe that you care for me more than you care for the birds, You care for the birds, and that's evident, the way you've ordered everything. I'm going to believe that you care for me, too. And he not only says that anxiety adds nothing to your life when you seek after trying to control your own comfort, but he says it it also doesn't add when you begin to be consumed by your image, how you present yourself. In verse 28, he says, And why are you also anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
First, he says, look at the birds in regards to the idol of comfort and seeking after your own happiness, believing you're in control. And then he shifts to the idol of image. He says, consider what you wear, how you present yourself, your clothing. And some of you are like, okay, the comfort one, you got me. I I mean, I really do seek after and, and believe, and I actually live a lot of times like I'm in control of my own happiness and my own comfort. And God's not really in the equation. But the image one, I'm not really concerned about clothing. Like, if I'm just wearing clothes, that's like thumbs up, you know. I have no idea what the colors of the season are. I have no idea what's cool and what's not cool. I mean, I'm just kind of wearing the clothes that I've had for 10 years. But he's not talking just about clothes, right? Jesus isn't like, I'm talking about this big thing of comfort and happiness and fulfillment. And then I also just want you to know, stop caring so much about your actual clothing. He's speaking about image, how you present yourself. And it certainly can be an idol of image in regards to your physical appearance. Obviously, that's being addressed here as well. Being concerned about how you present yourself, your physical appearance. Maybe that is what feeds a shopping habit. You are concerned with the brand on your t-shirt. You are concerned with not what you're wearing, but who you're wearing. That really drives you. Maybe what drives your Equinox subscription is how you present yourself, right? Maybe the reason that you put hashtag keto diet is because you want everyone to know that you're on the keto diet and you eat a lot of avocados. <laughs> right? We, we, we can share all of these things because we want people to see that we have it together, that we look nice, that we're attractive. And certainly you can have an idol of image in regards to your physical appearance, but you can also have an idol of image in regards to your career. You can be really concerned with carefully curating and presenting to other people how successful you are, how well you're doing at your job, the promotion that you're about to receive or you have received, because you want people to know that you're living a life that matters, that you want people to know that you're successful. And so maybe some of the things that you do is you talk a lot about all the things that you've achieved, and you always want to jump into the conversation and and tell people what you're doing in your job because you want people to see that you've made something of your life. You want to present that. Your career has become an idol. I think this is like one of the main themes in most hip-hop and pop songs on the radio now is essentially saying, everyone doubted me, but look at me now. Right? One of my favorite DJs, uh, DJ duos, is Galantis, and they have a song. It's literally a song. It's called Mama, Look at Me Now. And the song is about everyone doubted me, but now I'm flying on a private jet. Like, that's the whole song. But it's an idol of image in regards to career, right? Look how successful I am. We also can have an idol of intelligence. We want to present ourselves as smart and competent. And we want people to know that we're smart and competent. So maybe you share all the books you're reading on Instagram. Look at all the books I read in 2018. It's like a whole library. It's like, how did you do that? Maybe you use SAT words unnecessarily. You know, you're like, man, he is so gregarious, you know? Like, what? Just say he talks a lot, you know? 
maybe a driving force in your degree that you're pursuing or the degree that you have achieved is less about setting you up for an opportunity to fulfill God's calling on your life in terms of your vocation. And it's more about letting people know that you're smart and you are able to get that degree and achieve in the classroom. But we can also have an idol not only of physical appearance in regards to our image and our career image and our intellectual image, but we can also have an idol that's an idol of spirituality. Presenting ourselves to other people as being very devoted and having it all together spiritually. Not a hypocrite. So you want people to know that you are devoted to your faith. You're a very spiritual person. This is where I told you, if you texted in, there's a little surprise, a gift for you in the app, which is a link to a video that is called Christian Girl Instagram. And it is amazing. So do not watch it now, but later tonight you can laugh and you can enjoy it. teaches the ladies in the room how to have a perfectly curated Instagram so it looks like you're really holy and you're really spiritual. It's a satire, obviously. It's hilarious. But so much of what drives maybe your church attendance and your engagement in a small group and your willingness to volunteer to go to that serve project is not as much about worshiping God and being around his people, but it's more about making sure that people see that you're worshiping God and committed to his church. And maybe not only only about what other people see, but it's about what you think God needs to see. God, look, I'm at church again. Do you see? I signed up for that small group. I went and I served. You know, one of the things that I, we've talked about before is that many people struggle with uh, being expressive in worship in regards to in music, right? Raising your hands, opening your hands. There's a joke that there's a, a Presbyterian plateau, which is right here. You can't get above it. You know, it's like there's a wall, it's a glass ceiling. And a lot of people, you know, there's, when you really kind of get to the heart of it, the unwillingness to be expressive in worship is a fear of what other people may think. How you present yourself in a spiritual environment. You don't want people to think you're like really worshiping, you know, <laughs> just a little bit worshiping, you know. But the opposite side is true too, right? You can have like two hands in the air, like, like fist pumping God, and you're not really doing that because the Holy Spirit moved you to praise God by raising your hands. You're doing it because that's kind of what you do, and you want people to see that you're really into this song, and you're really worshiping God. We have so many idols of image, spiritual image, intellectual image, or career image, or physical image, and we get anxious when those things kind of break down, when our physical appearance breaks down and our career shifts a little bit and causes anxiety. What are people going to think? And if we're next to somebody else that seems smarter than we are, more competent, and someone that is maybe getting more recognition for their faith. Whatever it may be, all those things, when we can't control them, it brings about anxiety in us. And Jesus says, do you look at the lilies? Do you consider the lilies? Look how beautiful they are. And they're not in control of their beauty. Solomon is the example that Jesus gives. Solomon was a king. 
And he had everything. Solomon was known as the wisest man who ever lived. He had as much money and wealth as you could ever imagine. He was so successful in his career. He was also attractive. He had all these people that were attracted to him. And he also was able to build the temple of God. Talk about presenting yourself as successful in your career, as attractive in your physical appearance, as being intellectually wise, and also as being spiritually in tune and connected to God. I mean, Solomon had all of it. And the comparison that Jesus makes is look at Solomon. In all of his glory and everything that he was able to achieve, the image that he curated and worked to build in his life, it does not compare to a flower, to a lily. In fact, at the very end of his life, Solomon, as he spent so much time building his image, he looks back on his life and he says, it was all vanity. It was a waste. It meant nothing. In fact, I think that if we could have a conversation with Solomon, we would find out that what drove him was anxiety. He was anxious about what other people thought of him and that drove him in all these different aspects of his life. And Jesus says, consider the lilies. You want to live a beautiful life? You need to recognize that God is actually in control of providing that beauty to your life. You're not in control of it. Just like he provides beauty to the lilies, he can provide beauty to your life. Look what he says in verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of you of little faith? Do you not believe that if God can clothe the flowers with beauty that takes your breath away at times, do you not also believe that he can clothe you with beauty, that he can bring beauty to your life, that it's not actually within your control? He says in verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. See, most people live their life seeking comfort and building their image. So much of what drives the majority of people is to seek after a life that's comfortable and to build an image that other people will envy. And that is the anxious life. That, that causes so much anxiety to, to feel like it, you have to maintain this image and you have to accumulate and acquire this comfort. Because when anything goes wrong, there's a little bump, a little turbulence. Whew. Anxiety. Corrie Tim Boom was a Holocaust survivor. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. As you look into your future and you look at what is before you and you think about the image that you're trying to protect and to build and you think about the comfort and the, the happiness that you want to find in life, do you believe that your future is known to God and he's in fact in control of it and he has the power and the ability to bring beauty to your life when you relinquish control to him? See, the reality is that anxiety is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. There's a question you have to ask yourself, which is this. Does my heart trust in myself or in God? Do I trust that I am in control of my comfort and my image and therefore living a life that matters, or do I believe 
that God is in control of bringing about beauty and comfort and satisfaction to my life? Which one do I believe? Because where your heart leans, you're going to find whether or not there's anxiety welling up in you from that. How many of you have heard this before? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. That is the worst advice ever. Follow, first off, what does that mean, follow my heart? Just like eat ice cream every day? I don't know. Follow my heart. See, the heart is, is deceitful and wicked above all else. And to follow your heart is horrible advice because our heart is the problem. Our heart is the very thing that causes anxiety in us as we try all these different patches of green grass thinking they're going to fulfill us, as we seek to perfectly protect our image and maintain this reputation that everybody admires. And when it falls apart, our heart falls apart and anxiety creeps in and takes control. Follow your heart. It's horrible. You're not supposed to follow your heart. You need to inform your heart. Inform your heart. The book of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. You see, your heart has power. Your heart has power to bring about life. But when you follow your heart, it's going to bring about death. But when you keep it, when you inform it of what is true, you'll see life well up in you. So what does it mean to inform your heart? What should you inform your heart? Jesus says, is how he closes, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What do you tell your heart? Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. That is to be your destiny, the road that you walk, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, as I said earlier, if you think about the birds of the air and how God is really truly in control, but yet they're active and they're involved in their life and they're, they're running after doing different things and they're looking for bugs and nectar, whatever birds do. I don't know what else they do. See, there's, there's ambition and there's action here as well. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. The first thing you seek, you're going to seek many things in life, but the very first thing that you should seek is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, the reality is this. Every single human is ambitious. Every human is ambitious. You're either ambitious for yourself or you're ambitious for God. You're either ambitious for your own comfort and your image or you're ambitious for God's kingdom. It's one or the other. And Jesus says the anxious life is a life that's ambitious for itself. It's ambitious to protect its image and to build and to create and to seek comfort. The beautiful life is a life that relinquishes that and seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is a beautiful life. So you think to yourself, okay, well, what does it really mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? It means to live in full submission to the will of God. It means that you recognize that God is actually in control. As we saw last week, even when the storms come, and you feel like you're going to die, God's not only present, but he's also in control. He is in control of your life, and he loves you more than the birds. 
and he wants to bring beauty into your life that surpasses the lilies of the field. It's living in full submission to God's will, to what he presents before you. And you see, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And Jesus speaks about it like this. There's a man that comes to him in the book of John, and and his name is Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And he comes to Jesus at night. And the reason he comes to Jesus at night is because he wants to protect his image. He doesn't want anyone to see him with Jesus. And he's been living his life seeking his own comfort because he thinks that he can provide happiness for himself. And so he comes to Jesus at night so no one can see. And he tells Jesus that he's missing something. Something's missing in his life, and he thinks Jesus may have the answer, and he can provide something. And so Jesus gives him this answer. You have to be born again. To enter the kingdom of God, to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. You you don't need to perform. You're not born inside the walls. In order for you to enter the kingdom of God and find what you're looking for, you have to be made new. In that same chapter, he makes the very famous statement that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life, should be a part of the kingdom of God. See, it's to believe that Jesus does in fact save. To live your life in full submission to the will of God is to recognize two things. One is to recognize that you are invited into the kingdom of God because Jesus has saved you. He welcomes you in. He invites you in to be in relationship with him and his people. And when you recognize that, and when you realize that because of Jesus' sacrifice, you're invited into the kingdom of God through faith, you see the power of that. You know what the power of the kingdom of God is? Is it tells you, wait, why in the world would I believe that I'm better at navigating my life than God is? That makes no sense. God is certainly a better pilot than I am a driver. And yet we live our lives trying to control everything, believing that it's safer when it's in our control. It's safer when we're driving the car of our life to the destinations that we think are going to make us happy. It's not true. Jesus tells us to look at the birds and consider the lilies and seek first the kingdom of God. And here's the promise he gives. When you seek the kingdom of God, when you just say, God, I want to follow you, I want to trust you, I want to live for you, I can be honest, I don't need to maintain this image, I can be real, I don't have to present myself as like having it all together and being so successful, I can just be a normal person, I don't have to conform to any cultural norms or standards, I can trust that you're going to provide happiness and fulfillment, I can rest in the beauty of my identity with you. Then this promise you see come true in your life, as we heard in Tilke's story. And all these things will be added to you. All these things that you desire will be added to you. So Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says this. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Inform your heart that you are to seek the kingdom of God first and rest in the truth that God is in control. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are in control. 
We confess that we don't live like you are in control. We worry about so much. We concern ourselves with so much. We seek after things that we believe will provide comfort and happiness, and we seek to protect our, our image. And yet, God, you call us to look at the birds and consider the lilies and to trust that you actually provide a life that is fulfilling and beautiful, that our identity can be rooted in you, that we can find the power that comes through believing in you, Jesus, and knowing that the first thing that we seek should be your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, would we not be people that follow our heart, but would we inform our heart of this? Would we push this truth deep down into our soul, and would you make it stick, Holy Spirit, so that it may guide our lives? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.